where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Oh my bad, you've given me goosebumps there. That was chilling, exciting. Many emotions uh, were happened. I can't even do tenses now. That's what you've done to me. Uh, but <laughs> Glad to be of service, James. You know, much, much like this episode, there was a lot going on. <laughs> Shall we? Yes. This is Adventures in House Sitting, named after Adventures in Babysitting from 1987. This episode aired on January 19th, 1989. It's the 11th episode of season seven, directed by James Burroughs and written by Patricia Nijalek and Cecil... Ouch. Oh, they've really challenged you there. So our cold open this time confused me no end. <laughs> it didn't really make much sense. It's the trains. It's boys and their toys. Yeah. You ever you had a train set? No, although where I used to live, my neighbour, who was, this was quite a contradiction because he was quite a gruff man, but he had a train set in his attic that he must have spent over 10 grand on. I never saw it. Never wanted to see it particularly, but it shows that some people do get obsessed with these things. And I can kind of understand once you start building something like that, the dedication and the ability to upscale it and add little details and things like that. And I know they're expensive, but all these train set decorations and little trees and huts and fat controllers and all the rest of it that comes along with it. Yeah. Norms will have their trinkets. So Norm has an old train set in his attic, which he's thinking about selling. Cliff, of course, shows little interest. And then they go to play pool. And on the way, Cliff runs off in order to play on the train set. Just say he's he's the conductor. He's the train man. I mean, I get it. Yeah. But also, Cliff is running to Norm's house, which I presume is locked. Unless Vera lets Cliff in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, Vera, I'm here to play with Norm's train set. Oh, Okay. I kind of get what they were trying to do here, but I think it was handled a bit strangely. It reminds me of um, this Russell Howard routine where he's talking about uh, when he, he had this friend who was, who was very drunk once and he came round to Russell's house, went, I'm here to pet your dog, and petted his dog and then <laughs> left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drink will do strange things. But also, it's quite wholesome. Drink could do a lot worse than just... Well, that's me. I'm off now. (laughs) Well, I I once walked to a 24-hour Tesco a mile away at four in the morning uh, because I fancied a pork pie. The most calorific of dishes. Miles, what, 15 minutes? Uh, Yeah, depends how drunk you are. Mm, True. I like 24-hour supermarkets because I like the serenity that comes mm. with with the with the twilight shop and also the odd characters that i have been the odd characters i have been looking for mint at 3am <laughs> a mint or mint mint to make mojitos oh i see uh, was that in planning for a future event or current no, event no, so we had everything else for mojitos just not mint so <laughs> that is, that's dedication james I mean, I lived across from it, but it was, I, I found it quite beautiful. Just walk in, collecting my mint, giving the heads up to the security as I walked away with, with my bare mint. Oh, I'd, I'd love it if they tackled you to the ground. <laughs> it's just mint, officer. I was making mojitos. 
<laughs> That's what they all say. They all say that? <laughs> really? Oh, well, at least we have a. We've both enjoyed a late night trip to the supermarket to get sustenance. So, a very odd cold open that bears no relevance to the episode whatsoever. Not at all. The only resemblance that it really has is that there's something at someone else's house that someone has a vague interest in. That's about it. Yeah. So how does our episode kick off in earnest, James? In earnest, it kicks off with Fraser saying he's got this speech coming up, which he's a bit worried by. And Carla suggests to him to imagine everyone naked. Fraser initially rejects, but then she goes, but wearing black socks. And Fraser finds that uh, a charm. Well, more than a charm, it's absolutely, he finds it hilarious. <laughs> a naked person in just their socks, particularly men in just their socks, I think he's... It looks like a turkey. Yeah, I mean, if, if you've ever been in an amorous situation and made the mistake of the socks coming off last... No, socks first, that's the rule. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it leaves you in a position of, it can kill any romantic situation. And in fact, I think if you are able to carry out a uh, successful uh, romantic entwining while still having your work socks on, I think you are quite the uh, lover. <laughs> yeah. He's so good he could wear socks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Fraser is absolutely taken with this. He finds it hilarious and is doubling over laughing whenever he passes anyone. I find the advice to imagine people naked in order to remove stress i find it odd because i just find that more distracting than anything distracting is a, a good safe word um, I, I find it distracting particularly when you'd have to read their tattoos i just yeah it's again a good safe way of looking at this situation i find James. it difficult to concentrate on the speech <laughs> i'd have to give if i was you know trying to figure out what the word was on someone's torso or below their shoulder <laughs> You, you and me have very different priorities in life. <laughs> I know that's exactly what would happen to me. It's like, well, I am imagining them naked, but I didn't realise they had a tattoo. So yeah, so mm. you're <laughs> when presented with a room for naked people, you're checking body grammar. <laughs> yeah, that should have an apostrophe. There is a, a a very big difference between one person naked and a room of it's naked. It's intimidating if they're all. Naked. Yeah, you feel like you're overdressed. It's almost like the difference between a posh restaurant when it delivers a real sort of fancy but tiny meal on a plate that's very well presented and delicate, and then a buffet. <laughs> it's like the the difference between one naked person and a room of naked is suddenly all form meshes into one and it becomes a... Cronenbergian <laughs> display. Yeah. Uh, in fact, to quote one of our older phrases... A flesh binge. <laughs> flesh binge, yeah. It's too much for the eyes, is what I'm suggesting. Uh, yeah, I, I find you can imagine you can imagine a small group of people naked and it's manageable. But then mm. there's a point where it becomes too many people and you're you are overwhelmed. Because nudity is such a taboo mm -hmm. and such a fascination to everyone. Yeah. That presented with a nude person, you are fascinated, you are taking it in. That, that's a new thing. I've not seen that body part before of this person. Okay. Yeah, and it's an intrigue. Presented with a room full of nudity, that, that level of stimulation is mind-blowing. I mean, where It's lost all individuality at that point. Mm. There's, no, there's no 
allure because it's not like, ooh, what's this person look like? At that point, it feels like it's been thrust upon you. Yeah. Thrust is a, yeah. Um, the, <laughs> I, would, I would suggest is that if anyone ever wanted to <laughs> ruin a... Uh, Trist. Yeah. Then please don't turn up with uh, 40 other people in the nude. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from nudity, our episode continues with a Woody passing a message on to Rebecca. Uh, and one of her bosses, a Mr. Sheridan, is coming to see her after his lunch, undoubtedly with a favour to ask, as is always the way with one of Rebecca's bosses. But Rebecca is going to put her foot down, isn't she? She's going to say, no. I won't give you your favour. You can find some other corporate underling to do your bidding. Which almost happens. Mr Sheridan. I'd like to ask you a favour. I see. I'm going to New York on a business trip for a few days and I'd like you to take care of my dog while I'm away. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, Mr Sheridan, but I have plans for the entire week and I could not possibly break them. I hope you understand. That's fine. I realise this is short notice. Thanks anyway. Well, <laughs> uh, my pants could be changed. <laughs> Please, sir, let, let me do this for you. Well, if you don't think it would be any trouble. Thank you, Miss Howe. Oh, no, sir. Thank you for the opportunity of knowing your dog. <laughs> God, I make myself sick. She puts her foot down, but it's like she is but feathering the brake, is what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, she um, she quickly goes back on her stance. No emergency stopping, but it's like she's, you know, stuck in traffic, is what's happening. Yeah, she has to dog sit for the evening, which again, is wildly out of the remit of a professional within a company. <laughs> I don't have a pet, but I think, I, yeah, I don't think I'd even ask anyone at work to pets it no just feels wrong maybe we exist in a different realm maybe there is a section of society at the top end of companies uh, etc who are used to having assistants shall we say nannies butlers etc etc who would have no qualms about asking an underling to perform a menial task for them even if it's completely out of their remit and inappropriate i my trick is if people ever ask me to make a coffee, I deliberately make it a bad coffee so they don't ask me to do it again. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm the same. I don't drink coffee or tea, so... Teas, teas are a great one to make badly. It's easy to mm. make a bad cup of tea. What you do is you put a lot of milk in before water and then put little water in it and you just give them a milky, <laughs> herby mess. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to suggest uh, Baldrick's approach to making a cup of tea and uh, Blackadder goes forth. That's disgusting. Whereas the one I want, is it doesn't violate health and safety. It's just not a good <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> what are the constituents in uh, Baldrick's tea? It's Spit. Yeah, spit, mud and cat vomit, <laughs> I think, is the, the final constituent, if anyone wants cream. It's quite disgusting, yeah. Yeah, lovely. So, yes, she is going to look after this dog. And this is, James prodded me before we watched this episode to say that I would find a coincidence in here. The dog's name is the same as my dog's name, uh, which is Buster. Yeah, named after Phil Collins. Well, he did star in a film called Buster. That's true. I like Phil Collins as an actor. I've not seen much of his acting. I've seen 
I think I've seen his daughter's acting. Oh, is that Lily Collins? It is, yeah. Ah, but Lily Collins is is quite tall. Uh, certainly very attractive and poised and all the rest of it. Phil Collins is an excellent musician, but he always struck me as a bit small and looking like a peanut. I mean, they don't look alike. No, those genes have improved through generations. If she went up to Lily Collins and went, you look just like your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Buster is my dog's name. I have a, a little cockapoo who, he's a great dog, really. A bit of a devil at times. Uh and again, that will draw parallels to this episode later. It will. And so she, despite saying she has firm plans, she says they can be cancelled. And he goes, great. So therefore, Rebecca is uh, dog-sitting, as Phaedra is imagining people naked, including Rebecca, which she doesn't find hilarious. She finds it seductive. Hello, Dr. Crane. Miss doesn't work with everyone. <laughs> Sam decides that he's going to sneak in. I mean, he, he, he says this to the bar. This, yeah, Rebecca finds that the house doesn't have an issue with the dog. Buster's well-behaved, quite serene. But she has issue with the house because it's way out in the snowy moors of Boston. Ooh. Yeah, and so she's, she's a little apprehensive. She's a little scared. But Sam is planning to sneak in with the sole intention of bedding her, which again... If it's a secondary hope, fine, but it shouldn't be the primary intention. <laughs> no. and, and also, that they're, in recent episodes, their relationship hasn't suggested any of this. No, and we, Troy and I have said this quite often, that he's just a desperate, desperate man. And we've seen his reputation with ladies. He's had many other dates in the past and he's not worked this hard for them so well maybe it's an authority thing maybe he's trying to somehow and forgive the phraseology get on top of his boss but anyway very strange I, I, and, and again it it pushes the boundaries of kind of uh, what's okay and you know how just how creepy sam's character is really at times and we'll find out more that when he actually arrives he's also a bit pushy and slightly predatory as well Oh, yeah, very much so. He's, yeah, he has, almost has like a Halloween Michael Myers thing because she hears something outside, starts boarding up the front door. He sneaks in the back, doesn't introduce himself and helps her lift furniture before saying anything and gives her a fright. Yeah, it's a very silent comedy joke, isn't it? The person getting involved and then you're not noticing they're involved. We do have, alongside all this, a storyline with Frasier that fizzles out, really, and bears no, has no effect on the episode. It's just him looking at people naked. Yeah, and getting to the point where he looks at Lilith and laughs at her. I think it's odd that he looks at his wife, who we've learned in the past gets, gets his passions flying, and mm. laughs at the concept of her wearing nothing but socks. Is this, again... Just because it's socks. Does he find the sock concept hilarious? Yeah. It feels like it's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't understand where this part of the story's come from, really, or where it's going. So essentially, it just ends with Lilith saying, when is that show? And he's forgotten all about it because he's thinking about people naked in socks too much. And, and off he runs. So that's the end of it. What I do like is, again, Lilith shows up, kind of going, oh, didn't we have lunch plans? And she goes, yes, yes. Uh, because what happened? And she went, I forgot and started having lunch at a different restaurant. <laughs> uh, and he goes, then do you want to watch me eat? And she goes, 
that would be lovely. It is such a strange back and forth, isn't it? The, the passions are high, yeah, but actually, the there's no the pressure isn't constant. Yeah, I, and I, I find that quite endearing. Mm. So Fraser's story ends, and we end up on location with Rebecca in this pretty impressive living room of Mr. Sheridan's house. It is quite nice, yeah. It's open plan type deal. Rebecca is on the sofa, an armchair with dog by her side, and the lights go out. Yeah. And the dog runs off into the kitchen, and this is the moment you talked about earlier where uh, Rebecca tries to barricade the door with a, a table, and Sam appears in the house and helps her. Cue about sort of five minutes of Sam being creepy, really, and desperately trying to persuade Rebecca that they should sleep together. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I'm exhausted and scared, Sam. I'm going to go to bed. And he's like, yeah, let's go to bed. And she goes, no, you sleep on the sofa like a good boy. This is what I didn't really like about him. He refuses quite heavily, like, well, if I'm not going to be in bed with you, I'm leaving. Yeah, there is a level of abuse and manipulation there. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so he goes to leave and upon opening the door, the dog escapes. Buster has fled the scene, which I think I would too if I was eavesdropping on that particular scene. <laughs> Buster didn't leave out of Zydegaard's sight, he left out of embarrassment. Yeah, he didn't want to see anyone naked in their socks. At this point, the farce escalates because they need to retrieve Buster. And everyone gets involved. Oh, everyone, yeah, even the likes of Alan. And we'll get onto the cast soon. Like now, for instance. Mm, what a good segue. <laughs> so we have B.B. Newirth as Dr. Lilith Sterling, Michael Curry as Mr. Sheridan. He also appeared in Dark Shadows, The Vampire Curse, Lou Grant, Trapper John M.D., MASH, Soap, Dallas, Remington Steel, Newhart, Family Ties, Homicide, Life on the Street, and many more. He was also in Firefox with John Ratzenberger, Tim Cunningham as Tim, Alan Cross as Alan, and Philip Pullman as Phil, and Al Rosen as Al. Both are uncredited. There's not much there, is there? Fairly short, but thank you, James. Yes, yeah, so they all show up. Alan, Cliff, the lot form a little search party, so they do. Searching the moors, which Cliff claims not to exist. But they have little success. The hero who turns out not to be the hero is Woody, who appears with what looks like Buster. It turns out to be Satan. Not literally. A dog called Satan. Yeah, that would be... A wild turn in the Cheers story if it suddenly became a... Halfway through season seven, they introduced the devil. Yeah. <laughs> I would love it next week if you're reading out the, the name credit for Satan. <laughs> so we have this new dog introduced, um, which uh, is Satan, not Buster. And Woody has borrowed him from a local scrapyard. I like how Woody can just borrow dogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think every sitcom needs a Woody, don't they? Or a, a coach, a, a character that you introduce as a, absurd enough that any plot element that you need to shoehorn in, that character can do it without any questions asked. Yep. Seinfeld is, has Kramer, where they never specify what his job is. He just has weird schemes uh, and knows mm. people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Baldrick is another Introducing a turnip for no reason. Yeah, trigger, only fools, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they're in everything. A good sitcom trope. I wonder what the first sitcom to do it was, where the Cheers was one of the first. 
Uh, I'd say it's probably from like the Dicker and Dyke show. You're probably looking back at these domestic sitcoms, um, mm. Black and White era, where they have had the kind of farcical elements. So, so they probably had the kind of weird neighbor bewitched. They've let that concept go wild because they're like, yeah, it's got a witch. You can do what we want. <laughs> yeah. So Woody arrives leads the dog into the house and just at that point we find out that mr sheridan's on his way back as well so a perfect storm as is the way with sitcoms have everything happen at once they have to do the uh, old switcheroo they have to pretend that satan is buster yes and apparently woody says that satan won't attack unless you say his trigger word cochise not a word i'm familiar with we don't have much in a way of Native Americans in the UK. Sheridan comes back. He wants to give a good old wrestle with Buster. So he goes into the kitchen, plays around. Buster, being Satan, is a little more aggressive, but does not seem to have done any harm. No, uh, and, and everything is fine. And then... Sam finds Buster. Sam performs a switcheroo uh, with the two dogs in the kitchen as Rebecca diverts Mr. Sheridan. There's a great line when Sam first enters. Sam, get that mud out of here. What? Sheridan's in the kitchen with Satan. This is no time for folk singing. (laughs) What are we going to do? All right, go out the front, sneak around the back. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a lovely line with Woody as well, when Woody arrives with the dog and Rebecca says to him, oh, Woody, I don't know which of you to kiss first. And Woody says, well, I've just had a breath mint. (laughs) We've seen he, we talked about in an earlier episode where he was eyeing up Rebecca. So, you know, he's he clearly attracted to her and a bit of an opportunist, but he's never been manipulative to the point of doing something purely for his own attraction, for his own perverse gain, you know? Oh, Woody. He's great. So the long and short of it is that everything is fine. The dogs have been switched until they get back to the bar and they're not sure. Yeah, there is an exchange, though, because Sheridan meets Woody. Rebecca claims Woody is her boyfriend to give some explanation. Then Sam arrives, and Sam being Sam, I could see Barry, like, rubbing his face in frustration. Sam arrives, (laughs) post-switch, and he claims to be Rebecca's boyfriend, which Sheridan is a little confused by, and and Woody is offended by, saying they need (laughs) to talk. That's That's a very sitcom trope, isn't it? The introducing a hypothetical scenario or, or, or a, a play or pretending something's happening, but letting the joke character immediately be taken in as if it's real. <laughs> but it's a lovely line. Lovely line. Cue back at the bar. They think they've got the wrong dog, but in order to test it... They think they've got Satan, and they say, don't... They put up a sign saying, you know, don't say Kachis to this dog. Frasier comes in, thinking about naked people. Not, uh, not paying attention. Reads the sign out loud, and nothing happens. But it's lovely to see everyone in the bar immediately dive behind something when he says it. So that makes them instantly panic and think they've got the wrong dog. Then something predictable happens where Woody goes, "Well, it's not Kachis. It must be a different Indian name." And Cliff, after annoying the dog because he's a postal worker. And he's trying to get his own back against dogs as a species. Starts listing all the Indian names he can think of, which is just a stupid thing to do. Yeah, particularly when the dog's not chained up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he he falls upon the right trigger word, and the dog chases him uh, into the lavatory. The word they chose 
has a significance to Cheers. Do you know why? Well, Geronimo is... I, I, I mean, this is a bit of an American thing, but it's something to do with the Alamo, isn't it? Is that right? I mean, that might be right. It's not what I had in mind. But there's a painting or old photo of Geronimo which hangs up next to the piano, and that was in Nicholas Colasanto's dressing room. When he died, they put it on the set as a kind of memento oh. of him. Geronimo is a sort of proxy nickname for Nicholas Colasanto within Cheers. Oh, okay. So a bit of an homage. Yeah. There is a lovely gag right at the end of this episode, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I remember which it is now. Uh, where they call the junkyard guy to get the counter word. And Carla gets the word on the phone. I'm calling for Woody. We need the counter command for Satan. Get out of here, you piece uh, from hell. Okay, thanks. Did you get it? Yeah. Well, what is it? Oh, come on. Night, everyone. <laughs> I didn't expect that gag. I thought it would end with Carla walking off, but loved Woody <laughs> shouting at <him. laughs> yeah. A fun episode. The only bit of the episode that one story episode. <laughs> one story and a just a running gag. Speaking of, I think that's trivia. Cliff's still locked in the bathroom, you say. Well, thank you, Frasier. Frasier, avert your eyes, man. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> has, a, has a Cliff pulled the disabled cord? Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Well, thank you, Fraser. <laughs> you can leave now. Go to your lunch. Yeah, stop looking at us, Fraser. Fraser, stop undressing us with your eyes. We've only got socks <laughs> on, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm not wearing any socks. <laughs> Some delightful trivia here. But as usual, before we open our letters, we have to give a shout out to our norms on Patreon. So this goes out to Treb Curry. If you want that special norm treatment, then check out our Patreon page for that and so much more. What is the nickname that Rebecca gives to Sheridan's dog near the start of the episode? Uh, Sir Bronwyn the Gallant from Fairhaven Manor. Yes, excellent, James. What new childhood toy is Cliff disgusted by, which prompts the uh, nostalgia for train sets? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. One where you make a monster, drop him in a vat of acid, and boil the skin off his bones. Wow, that's very dark. That's oh, a bit, bit too morbid for me. Although it does put me in mind of my favourite ever Rick and Morty episode called the vat of acid vat of acid episode which is a uh it's not a bottle episode and I, I think the first half is isn't it where it's the first half is set entirely in the vat yeah it's a cracking episode i love that anyway i digress what are the other names that cliff guesses for the dog at the end Ooh, i know crazy horse is one of them sitting bull think disney yeah pocahontas would be my next one yeah Excellent. I wouldn't use Crazy Horse as a trigger word because it's a band. Uh, or Pocahontas, because it's a film. You want to use words which wouldn't, by accident, slip into the conversation. Yeah, Cochise is very rarely, yeah. How unfortunate if it, it was your name and you were passing that scrapyard. You remember the young ones? Mm, yeah, love the young ones. There's, there's an episode where there's two demons and the concept is, 
if humans say their name, it summons them. And one of them is called Orgo, and one of them is called Futumsh. <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, of course they'll call your name. People should go, shall we go to a meal or go to the cinema? Your name will come up <laughs> quite often. Who's going to say Futumsh? And then it cuts to, cut, cuts to the flat, and Neil just goes, out of nowhere, he goes, what's a Futumsh? <laughs> So absurd. (laughs) Another recommendation for our listeners in America, if they've never seen it, the young ones probably isn't the easiest watch. It's it's very eighties, very anarchic, very like anti Thatcher. I'd say is the one word which sums Mm. it sums it up. Yeah, and surrealist as well. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre show. Mm. Quite funny, but yeah. My favorite episode is where Neil dies and they bury him in a garden. And he grows and multiplies into many Neils in a really good fertilizer. Not related to the episode as such, but let's see if uh, it's just a general trivia question. What's the name of the junkyard dog in Stand By Me? Oh, that is a good question. Oh, God, I haven't seen that film for a long time. I love that film. It's a very good film. Go on, you'll have to reignite some memories in me. Chopper. Chopper. What I loved about children and teenage tales in that era, in the 80s, was that the, the kids looked and acted like kids. And there was this trend in the sort of the 21st century for kids to be played by, you know, mid 20 year olds or to just act like young adults. And they lost that magic, I think, of, you know, the ETs and the standby me's and the Goonies and things like that. All very much kids playing kids and doing it well. For better or, not in terms of quality of acting, but for better or worse in terms of their later life. Yeah, yeah, the, particularly in the case of very dark tales. That's the last call. Should we, what do we have? The hair of the I dog? I think hair of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. Too easy, yeah. There must be a devil-related drink as well. Devil's Margarita, uh, Hair of the Dog. What is Hair of the Dog? It's usually whiskey, or is it just alcohol when hungover? So we could combine the two. We can have Hair of the Dog with a Devil's Margarita. And then if the party continues, uh, we're going to have a Buster cocktail, which exists and has 1.2 stars out of five. (laughs) So you're feeling adventurous. So I don't know what that drink is, but... uh, we don't need to read it out here. If you want to know what it is, then check out Patreon, where we may well have it as a recipe in our newsletter. It's certainly an interesting one. I mean, 1.2 stars, it's going to be interesting. Isn't I guess the final thing I could say is I will be back later in the season. But this has been a great cheers trio that we've looked at. Thank you very much, James, for having me on again. It's been great fun. This has been Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Mm-hmm.